Amen. Well, last week I talked about marriage and made maybe everybody angry. Today we're going to talk about politics. So now you're really going to get angry. And all I've got to do is just show you this slide right here, and I've already started a fight. Okay, that's all I've got to do. This is a cake that says, Make America Great Again. Just that phrase, just that red hat that starts a fight. And also you already have preconceptions about the woman who's holding the cake, who made it, about who she is, what she believes, what she's excited about. Isn't it true that our nation right now, especially when it comes to politics, is divided? That's obvious. All you got to do is mention President Trump's name or mention a political party and people are ready to debate and some are even ready to get the fist out and start fighting. I mean, that's where we are today. In fact, I would say that it's a dumpster fire. I mean, that's what our political landscape is right now. Uh, we really are at the point if President Trump came up with an idea that would make everybody's life better, half of the nation would be against it just because he came up with it. But it was the same when President Obama was president. If he had come up with an idea that would have made the whole nation better, half the nation would have been against it just because he came up with it. And so no wonder nothing gets done. And maybe sometimes it's a good thing that nothing gets done. Maybe they leave us alone when nothing gets done. I don't know. But I also thought about, we complain about our national leaders and about our country. And, you know, we citizens aren't living all that great either. So, you know, when we're pointing our fingers at our politicians, maybe we should look at ourselves. And this is kind of a, a silly example. But I was thinking about all the stories I've heard recently about the bad behavior on airplanes. Okay, so I just thought that might be an example of how our country has devolved to where it is. Uh, there was a time when this is how you flew. I mean, look at that. All dressed up. Now you got a nice uh, plate of food, the, the stewardess, and that's what you called them back then. So she's nicely dressed. And, you know, that's what a time was maybe. Uh, but now we as a nation have come to this. And this is what you get on an airplane now. So whether it's our leaders or our citizens, our country has fallen far from the ideal of what God wants. And the reason I know that is I'm going to share it with you this morning. What God calls a nation, its leaders, and its citizens to be. But this is the thing I'm most hopeful of. I know, this is what I know and makes me most hopeful for our nation is that God is in control of the nations. Dominion belongs to the Lord. He's the ruler. He is the king. He is the Lord. And so he rules over the nations, not presidents, not kings, not dictators. They're not the rulers of the world. God is the ruler of the world. And the king's hearts, Proverbs 21, 1 tells us, is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. So God is in control of our world leaders and nothing's going to happen that he doesn't have control over. And this gives me hope because when you look at a world filled with dictators and filled with violence and filled with destruction and filled with uh, countries that have nuclear missiles that could cause destruction, we know that God is in control. So I begin with that, but look at what Proverbs does tell us about how to live a godly life as a citizen and what we should look for in a godly ruler. Proverbs says a lot because remember Solomon was a king and he was teaching his sons how to rule a nation. And so a ruler who is godly is righteous. Proverbs 28, 15 says a wicked ruler over a helpless people is like a roaring lion or a charging bear. You want to get out of the way of those things, don't you? And that's what happens when a nation is ruled 
by wicked, unrighteous rulers. The flip side would be that if a nation is ruled by a righteous ruler, then there is peace and prosperity. Maybe it's like a little bunny hopping towards you. Maybe that would be the, the metaphor. Wicked behavior is detestable to kings since a throne is established through righteousness. A godly ruler is honest. Don't we usually say, how can you tell when a politician is lying? When he's speaking. That's how you know when a politician is lying. But a godly ruler is honest. Eloquent, eloquent words are not appropriate on a fool's lips. How much worse are lies for a ruler? Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. Godly rulers should be ones who speak the truth. They often don't speak the truth in our country because they have to get elected. And so they try to say whatever they think whoever's voting for them wants to hear. And so they'll say it. And they'll say it over and over. They'll say it loudly. And they'll change it from one audience to another because they want a vote. But a godly ruler is honest when he speaks. A godly ruler is loving and faithful. Those words you ever think of when you think of a politician or a government ruler, loving and faithful? Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. What about justice? When we look at our nation and we look at the world, we see a place of injustice. And that's what often makes people angry. Because deep down in us, we know that life should be fair and that life should not be lived where the, the guilty are declared innocent or where the innocent suffer at the hands of rulers. And so that's what God says in Proverbs, that a godly ruler is just. God's verdict is on the lips of a king. His mouth should not give an unfair judgment. And by justice, a king brings stability to a land. But one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. The Proverbs go even deeper. Not just justice in general, but justice for the guilty. It is not good to show partiality and judgment. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, people will curse him and nations will denounce him. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty and generous blessing will come to them. Justice for the poor. A king who judges the poor with fairness. His throne will be established forever. And justice for the oppressed. It is not for kings, Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. So a godly king is just. A godly ruler is just and who looks out for the poor and looks out for the oppressed and looks out for the innocent and makes sure that justice is done. And we see often justice is not done. And we look forward to the day when Jesus will rule on this planet and he will rule justly. Those who are guilty will be punished quickly. Those who are innocent will not be oppressed. And so this is what Proverbs says should be the bar that's raised for a ruler, one who is loving, faithful, honest, just, righteous. How many of you have voted for a man or woman who was all of those things? Now, when we go to the ballot box and you have the choices in front of you, I usually don't describe those people as honest, righteous, loving, faithful, and just. Except for Wanda when she's on the school board ballot, okay? 
So sometimes we are voting for the one who lies the least and who's dishonest the least and who's least uh, unjust. And so uh, it is true that sometimes when we're looking for those leaders, we don't find them. They're not there. But that doesn't mean we lower the bar. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for our leaders to be that, nor does it mean that we don't continue looking for them. Because this is what God has called leaders to be. Again, sometimes we're pointing our fingers at our leaders, saying they're a bunch of crooks, a bunch of liars, they're corrupt, they don't have my best interest at heart. We're saying all those things, and we're not looking at ourselves. I can't change President Trump. I can't change any political leader, but I can change myself. And so what does God say about we as citizens and how we should live? Godly citizens should be righteous. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Isn't that true? If any nation would be defined by righteousness, that would be a place anyone would want to live. Because it would be a place of peace. It would be a place of gentleness and kindness and self-control and love. It would be a place where the fruit of the Spirit is evident. But a nation where sin controls and is rampant. That's where there's violence, there's hatred, there's injustice, oppression. We see examples of nations like that all over the planet. We have yet to see the nation, <coughs> excuse me, where righteousness rules. But we as citizens, it says, when the righteous flourish, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, people groan. We are to be obedient. And this is probably the hardest thing for citizens to be. Listen to what Solomon says. My son, fear the Lord as well as the king. And don't associate with rebels, for destruction will come suddenly from them. Who knows what distress these two can bring? The Bible makes it clear that if we are Christians, if we are godly people, we must submit and obey to our government. And when we often hear that, especially as Mer Americans who uh, fought a revolution, who uh, wanted to be free from the government that the colonies were under, we wanted to be free from a king, we, we are rebels, we are patriots, that's sort of in our blood, that that's who we are. But God says what we should be is obedient and submissive. And Paul even goes farther. He says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. There's a few more verses, but I want you to see in these what Paul is saying. He's saying the reason we submit to governments because that government's there because God's allowed it. So we are submitting to God, really. We are acknowledging that any government that we live under is allowed there by God. Paul's not saying it's what God's ideal is or what God would want. Because remember, he allows us to make free choices. He allows rulers and governments to make choices. But he's saying it's allowed by God. 
So therefore, we must submit to it because God has placed it there. He also says, and this is true generally, although there are exceptions, that if you want to have the government off your back, then be a good citizen. If you obey the laws and you're a good citizen, the government in general won't come after you. You start to break the laws and start to be a bad citizen, that's when the government comes looking for you. Again, there are exceptions, and especially in a government that's corrupt and unjust and, and evil and wicked. But notice again, Paul's not saying if you have a good government, obey it and submit to it. He, he's saying this to people who are under an empire, not to people in a democracy or a republic. And even for them, he says, submit to the empire, to the emperor. Because God has allowed it to be there. He goes on to say, if you do wrong, be afraid. Because that's when the sword comes down. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. So he's saying, the only reason you submit is not just so you don't get in trouble and get thrown into prison. But you are to do so because of conscience. Because it's what God has commanded. And for this reason, you pay taxes. It gets very practical. Since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you own tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. And honor to those you owe honor. It gets very practical, very down to earth. Remember Jesus even said, to give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And remember the, the religious leaders were trying to trap him, trying to get him to say, support the government. And if he supported the government, he was supporting an occupying government over his own people. If he would have said, don't pay your taxes, he would have been a rebel. But Jesus was neither. He said, give to Caesar what he deserves and give to God what he deserves. Paul gives a, a, a same answer. We are to submit to God, but in submitting to God, we submit to our government and our authority. And we even pay taxes. Because what Paul is saying, those taxes are used to pay the servants who are God's servants who serve us. And when we look at the taxes we pay and what it goes to and who we're paying for, we say, really? Is, is that what it is? It's almost the idea that when we give our tithes and our offerings, it pays for God's servants to spread the gospel and to minister. In the same way, when we pay our taxes, we're paying for God's servants to run the government. That's almost a weird way to think about it because we want to keep all the money we can. Now, now notice Paul didn't say give more taxes than are due or he didn't say that, uh, uh, <clears throat> that lots of taxes are better. He just says whatever you owe, you pay. And whoever you owe honor and respect, you give that as well. Again, to a government that was oppressive and certainly not godly in the sense that we would think of one. This is where I always struggle about obeying the government. You know, too fast, you could just make that my license plate probably, and that would be sufficient. And I, I, I do have to admit I have had speeding tickets in the past. I, I've had less of them lately, which is a good thing. But as I've shared with you before, I've had more annoying tickets lately. Like, remember, I had a ticket for having too dark of a tent on my car, and I got a ticket for not stopping completely and waiting for a minute before I made a turn right out of here at Black Ridge Road and Cana Church Road. I mean, Airport Road and Cana Church Road. Now, how many of you, when you get to that intersection, always stop, look left, look right, 
Okay, now I'll go. You know, I think that's what they expect you to do. Anyway, I, I kind of went a little bit quick through that stop sign, so I got a ticket for that. So anyway, that's where I struggle. I, that's not obeying the government. And in fact, it was interesting when I was at uh, Southeastern Seminary, when you got a parking ticket, they would quote Romans 13 on the parking <laughs> ticket for you, just to remind you that you claim to be a seminary student and a godly person, yet you're breaking the law and you have gotten a ticket. Be reminded of what God says about obeying the government and especially paying those things that are owed. And so I guess that's the message they were trying to give us. But here's a very practical way. When we uh, live our lives, we should be obedient to not only the traffic laws, but the laws of our country and of our community. And we are to be uh, a godly citizen by doing that. To have an idea of breaking the laws and being a rebel is not what God has called us to do. And here's a very practical way to do it. But it should be going without saying, but I wanted to make clear, when there's a conflict between obeying God and obeying the government, you always obey God. Wanda shared with us the account in Acts where the disciples were brought in and they were asked, what name, what authority, How, why are you doing this? Well, later on in the next chapter of Acts, they're continuing to do miracles and continuing to talk about Jesus. And so they get hauled into court again and they get thrown into prison. And the, the leaders are, are very compromising towards them. They said, guess what, we'll let you out of prison. We don't really want to put you in prison. All you've got to do is stop talking about Jesus. That's all you've got to do. You stop talking about Jesus, there'll be no problem whatsoever. And that's when Peter said this verse here, we must obey God rather than men. And there are times when it comes to that where we have to say no to our government, disobey it, rebel against it, because we must obey God first. But American citizens have a choice in our government, don't we? We're not serving an emperor. We're not in an empire. We don't even have a king. So I encourage all American citizens to be knowledgeable and to vote. It kind of irritates me when people complain about our government, but they don't vote. And they complain about our government, but they have no idea who they're voting for. So it, my stand is if you didn't vote, you got to shut up. You don't have no right to say anything. And if you're voting blindly because you don't know who's on the ballot or what they stand for, then you should be quiet too because you're not really being an informed voter. And we should also be working towards changing our nation in whatever way we can and have opportunity to. I know sometimes uh, our, people in our country will criticize Christians and say, all you want to do is enforce your beliefs on everybody else. And I would say that's partially true. I don't want to force anyone I don't want to enforce it in the sense of uh, arresting them or making them believe or act a certain way. But certainly my prayer, my uh, life's work is to bring everyone in this country to Jesus Christ. And for all of them to, to acknowledge He is their Savior. For all of them to follow His ways in obedience. Yes, that's what I want. And so if that's enforcing my beliefs on a nation, then I guess I am guilty of that. But isn't that what all Christians should be called to do, to share the gospel and, and pray for people to be Christians and to live the life of Christ? And so we should be working towards that. We need a better nation. We need a better country. And the only answer for that is Jesus. And the only answer for that is salvation and life-transforming power. So I'm also confused when they criticize us for that. That's exactly what they're doing. They have no problem transforming Christians into a different mold and a different mindset. They're all about that. 
But when it comes to Christians saying this is how it should be, oh, you can't do that. That's a religious bigotry. But we can tell you Christians how to live your life. So yes, we pray for and work for. That's the privilege we have as Americans that not all citizens of this world have. So take that opportunity. But more than that, this is what God tells us to do, to pray. First of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we are to pray, as you notice, for everyone, but for kings, for those in authority. I was trying my life to pray more for my leaders than I complain about them. And to pray specifically that they come to saving faith in Jesus. Wouldn't that change our, our, our nation? Imagine the House of Representatives with all true believers. And the Senate with all true believers. And President, true believer. The courts with true believers. Wouldn't that change this country? So pray for that. As I said earlier, I can't change any leader, but God can. And it's through prayer that God changes things and changes people. But also praying specifically for salvation for everyone. Praying for a nation where there is freedom to share the gospel. And where we can live a life of peace without harassment and without violence toward us. For living a Christian life and proclaiming the truth of Jesus. You know that in some parts of the world, Christians can't do that. When they speak the name of Jesus, they can be arrested. They can be killed. And so we pray with them, and they're praying for a different nation, a nation where it's peaceful and it's quiet for them to live their life and to share their faith. So we pray for that, for our nation. We pray for the salvation of our leaders so that all can be saved because that's what God wants. He wants everyone to be saved. So we pray with him that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This could be the verse that sums up what we as a nation should strive for and what we need. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So pray for that. Live it in your life. Pray that this nation, that every nation of this world would acknowledge God as the true God. And all would come to saving faith in Jesus and live that life pleasing to him. There's one last thing I want to share with you. When we talk about our nation and we talk about our frustrations with it, there has to be a priority. Let me ask you this. Uh, how many of you have ever stayed at a hotel? Probably everybody here has been in a hotel at least once. Now, when you go into a hotel room, do you usually think about changing it to make it more like home? I mean, do you go in there and say, you know, I'd really like to blow this wall out and add an addition here, and I don't really like these drapes. I'm going to go down to, to Target or Walmart and get some new ones and change them out, and I think it needs a new uh, paint, different color. I'm going to go get some paint samples, and we'll change that. You don't do that. Why don't you do that? You know that's not your home. You know that's just temporary. And, and you can live with it. You can put up with it for a day, for a week. But also, you don't go to places that have cockroaches and that uh, you know, are mold growing in them and broken windows. And 
You don't do that, do you? So you want to find a place that's nice. And so you work to have enough money to, to afford a nice hotel. Or if you go to a hotel that's not, you check out and go somewhere else. So you want it nice. You want to be able to live in it for a day or a week. But you know it's temporary. The same is true with our life on this earth. And the life living in a nation. It's temporary. We are primarily not citizens of the U.S. We are citizens of heaven. And that is our home. And so just like with the hotel room, we want our nation to be better than it is. We don't want to infest it with cockroaches and mold. We want it to be a good place to live. So we pray for that. We work for that. We vote for that. But at the same time, our main focus is on what our permanent home is. And that's heaven. And so as much as we want our nations transformed, the United States of America is not going to exist forever. Certainly its leaders are not going to exist forever. But heaven is forever. And living with God is forever. So that's where our focus should be. And that should be our priority. And so when we think about that, that we are a citizen of heaven, that means we're also an ambassador for Christ. Well, here's the verse about citizenship. Paul says, I have often told you, now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Doesn't that describe a lot of people, a lot of leaders, a lot of nations? Enemies of Christ. And look at what they're focused on. Their stomach. <laughs> I think it's just a metaphor for the pleasures of life. They're focused on the food, they're focused on pleasure. Their glory is in their shame. Why? Because they're focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. What he's saying is, this is a temporary place. This is a temporary body. This body is, is humbled and weak and worn out. And, it, and one day God is going to change it. Just like that. Paul tells us elsewhere, in the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, we will be changed into the likeness of Jesus' glorious body. And when he does that, he's going to do it with the power. The power that God has that gives him control over the whole universe. That power is what he will use to change us. That's our citizenship. That's our home. So like I was said earlier, that means we're ambassadors for Christ. Paul says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we are citizens of heaven, then God has given us a job to do, and that is to go and be his ambassador, to go and proclaim his truth, to go and live a life of an example of, of a heavenly citizen. So we should live a life on this earth that we will live in heaven, a life of righteousness, a life of holiness. And we should go with the good news. I am a citizen of heaven. This is the king that I serve. This is the Jesus who saved me. Let me tell you more about him. Be reconciled to God must be our message. And if we are citizens of heaven 
and ambassadors of Christ, then our focus is on the kingdom of God more than it is on the United States of America. I'm all for patriotism and all for uh, having a country that is more godly and more righteous. But our focus and what's more important is the kingdom of God. Because that lasts forever. And as we get frustrated about our nation, let us take some of that frustration, turn it into positive energy where we are serving God to build his kingdom. Because it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter the type of government we have. It doesn't matter who our rulers are. God's call on our life and his great commission never changes. If overnight our country became a dictatorship, it wouldn't matter. We still would be, should be here on Sunday, still sharing his word, still living our same lives. If this country descended into anarchy overnight and there was rioting in the streets, that wouldn't change our mission. It still would be to serve those who are hurting and it would still be to tell the good news. It would still be to bring glory to God. See, we as Christians, it doesn't matter what kind of government, who the leaders are, we're called to do the same thing. So that should give us a focus and should give us a direction so that we're not so distracted and frustrated by whoever lives in the White House or whatever our country is. And Jesus, remember, he said this. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. When Jesus was talking here, the context, he's talking about the physical things of life. People worrying about what they will eat, what they will wear, how they're going to live life. Things that are temporary. They're important. They're needed. You can't live life without food. You can't live life without clothes. So he's not saying those things are unimportant or they're not needed. But he's talking about a priority. He's talking about a focus. So again, with our country, it's important what it's like. And it's important who leads our country. And you can't have a society without a government or without leaders. So I'm not saying that it's not unimportant or that it's unnecessary. But the focus of our life needs to be on God's kingdom. That can be said of anything that's temporary on this earth. If we focus too much on it, it becomes too much of our God, we lose sight of our God and lose sight of his kingdom that he's called us to build. And so Jesus says, when you focus on righteousness and God's kingdom, these other things tend to work out. The clothes and the food that you're worried so much about, God provides it. The nation and the country you're so worried about, you're able to live in it and do God's work. And you seem not to notice all the chaos around you. Focus first on his kingdom. That is how we live as citizens of this world and of heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a nation where we are free to worship you, free to share your gospel. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who do not have that freedom. I pray, Lord, that you would give that to them. I think of brothers and sisters in, in, in North Korea or Saudi Arabia, Lord, where they can't even have a church or can't even mention your name without fear of losing their life. I pray that you would 
penetrate that darkness, Lord, with your truth. And I pray that we would see a transformation in those countries as we did once in the Soviet Union. I pray for our country, Lord. And we do live in a country. We have many citizens who are unrighteous, unjust, unloving. So, Lord, I pray for a better place to live and to work, to raise our families. I pray for a nation that acknowledges you and a nation that's filled with righteousness and justice and, and love and faithfulness and mercy. I pray that for our leaders and for us. Lord, as we work for that, as we pray for that, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives to change us. I pray that we'd be diligent in praying for our leaders so that you can change them. And I pray more than all of that, Lord, we are focused on your kingdom. That, Lord, we are ready to, to serve you, to live for you, to die for you, to take up our cross for your name, for your kingdom. And, Lord, I'm certain that if we do that, all the other things in our life will come into focus and what is needed and necessary will be there. So I pray that for our entire life not just in politics, not just in food and clothes, but everything. There's so much that we worry about and strive after and are distracted from you and your kingdom. Lord, take those distractions away. Take those worries away as we, and replace them with faith in you. That's my prayer for myself and my brothers and sisters this morning. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing. We are responding. I know we can't go out and vote today. We're stuck with who we've got for a while, okay? So I know there's, you can't respond in that way, but there are ways you can respond this morning. Praying more than complaining. Focusing on God's kingdom more than all the distractions of life. Focus on righteousness and obedience in our life. Those and however else God has called and spoken to you, answer this morning with a yes. I will also be here to pray with you if you have any need, make any commitment to the Lord, sure. Let's have this as a time of responding to the great God who has saved us.